Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me is my good buddy James Myrtle. James, what's going on, man? Oh, not much. A little new job action after 12 years at the Golden Mail. That's that's new. Yeah, I feel like people, when I generally ask them that, they, they just say not much, and it probably applies because a lot of the days seem to kind of blend together here in the fall. But for you, uh, in this case in particular, I feel like that's not a, not a very truthful answer. I feel like you are definitely up to up to quite a few things. Yeah, it's busy, man. There's a there's a lot going on, and I I know we're going to get into it and talk to talk about some of it here soon. Yeah, I'm. We'll save it for sort of the the latter half of the show. At, at the start here, I kind of want to talk to you a bit about the Leafs because they are the team that you uh, you still cover down there in Toronto, and um, sort of our responsibility as media in terms of covering hockey. And I think it's a good place to start is what happened with Austin Matthews here uh, over the past couple of weeks where there was that stretch where he went 13 games without a goal. And the, the it brought up an interesting dilemma for myself personally, because on the one hand, I think that, you know, most people, I'd like to think most people reading my work at this point, understand the concept of shooting percentages and sort of sustainability and understand that, you know, if you're riding too high or low, things will eventually even out. So when you're writing about a guy like Austin Matthews, He's like, do we at this point still need to say stuff like, you know, this obviously won't continue or, or, or can we just assume that our readers are smart enough and sort of have figured that out for themselves already? Well, I guess it depends where you're writing in part. Like if I was writing in the Globe Mail, I would probably make sure that I, I said something like that. And I mean, the crazy thing about Matthews is like if you like you watch the games, like he had everyone kept saying it, but like he was their best player on a lot of those nights. And it just showed that, you know, he was missing, he was hitting the post and then a teammate would knock it in or whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah, he got an assist. He didn't get a goal, but like, come on, he created that goal. So stuff like that was happening over and over and over again. You know, as I, I think we probably still do have to point it out just because I don't feel like the idea of regression and sustainability has permeated everywhere, but 
it, it's getting there. You know, it's be, the, the mainstream stream acceptance of a lot of this stuff is a lot deeper than it was even two, three years ago. I mean, 2014 was what they called the summer of analytics. And uh, then we kind of had a backlash the year after that, it sort of felt like. Mm-hmm. And then this year, there seems to be sort of acceptance, at least of, of some of this stuff. Yeah, I've sort of reached like a little bit of an overload in, in, in just like having to, I can just basically copy paste the same caveat at this point of the right. year into every one of my articles where it's like, you know, or it's early right. in the season, small sample size so that, you know, it's sort of like protecting yourself from someone overreacting so dramatically to something you write and then it wind up not being the case. But like, it's tough because as you mentioned, it's not even really like a, a mathematical concept here. I mean, people are very familiar with, you know, if you just watch uh, how Matthews was playing, like that he he's quote-unquote do, right? Like, you see he's shooting the puck a lot. He's getting a lot of scoring opportunities. Eventually, it'll even out. But on the flip side, I think it, it is important to remember that, you know, the people we interact with on a, on a regular basis most frequently might sort of be very like-minded like us and think the same way and approach viewing the game the same way. But there are a lot of maybe more casual fans out there that expect us to sort of just, like, spoon-feed them what they need to know about everything involved. Well, and you're probably like me in that, once you've written about this for a certain period of time, it's like, okay, I want to like, I want to write about new things. I want to write about different ideas in hockey. And I, I've gotten a little bit frustrated the last, I don't know what you call it, year, year and a half. They're like, I just wish we had different data. I wish we had different concepts. Like it was kind of, it was when all this stuff was coming in about sustainability and uh, puck possession and all, there were all these new numbers and the audience was was very much in the dark and didn't know anything about this. I mean, it was really interesting when that was happening, that conversation and watching it unfold and watching teams ride PDO waves and come down. And, it, it, and you know, I mean, we're talking 2012, 2013 when, when we were talking about that kind of stuff. Now it's like, what's the next thing going to be that everyone is going to get excited about and talk about? And I just, I don't know. It feels like we're almost waiting for, for something like that. Well, and I mean, it's it's a good good bridge here. I mean, it seems like any time a team kind of dips their toes in, into the waters in terms of you know hiring younger people that are gonna are quote unquote analytics guys, uh, everything all of a sudden kind of becomes an indictment against uh, analytics and and analysis in that regard. And and we're seeing it sort of with the Panthers right now with this uh, recent Gerard Gallant firing and sort of I think that moving forward everything that they do is going to be really watched under a microscope in that regard, which is kind of frustrating. But I imagine it was sort of like that with the Leafs too. Especially especially until, uh, until they brought in a guy like Lou Lamorello. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Le- yeah. there was that one year, I think it was, was it 13-14, where they were off to the really hot start, and it went all the way till, yeah, it went all the way to Sochi, till the All-Star break, where, and I had been writing the whole year that they were going to, this wasn't sustainable, it wasn't going to happen, and they did it for whatever it was, 55 or 58 games or something ridiculous, so I was getting hate mail every single day with people saying, you're an idiot, you've been saying this for months, of course this is sustainable, and then as everyone knows, I, I can't remember, they won like two of the last 14 games or something like that, and it all fell apart, and that's when they brought Shanahan in, and that's when they brought Kyle Dubas and the analytics in, and that's when things started to shift for the Leafs, so... Florida is a, a really interesting test case here because 
the story I did on the Panthers that came out a couple of weeks ago, I actually did a lot of the research for it in the summer. I that the Panthers were the most interesting NHL team from a data perspective, just because of the people they had in charge. So I spent a lot of time in August on the phone talking to the owners and the CEO. I talked to anonymously to people that were working in the front office, um, people that, that, that didn't appear in the article that just had some interesting information about what it used to be like under the last regime, what it's like now. Um, Steve Worrier and, and Eric Joyce. And, you know, it, it's, it, that's, they're, they're the example of the biggest change we've ever seen in terms of a team going all in on analytics. And when I say all in, I don't mean like every single thing they ever do is based on analytics because that's not the case, but, trying to go they're trying to incorporate it more and more and more into player personnel decisions and scouting decisions and what they're doing at the draft and it's it'll be fascinating to see if it works or 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 you know if 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 it's harder than than it seems i think especially for guys that i got the sense that some of those guys didn't start picking up hockey analytics until relatively recently so they're trying to you know it's not like they're they're math phd's that have been writing about it like um like tim barnes who's working for for the capitals who he's been writing about it since like what 2007 or 2008 mm-hmm. it seemed like the florida guys started learning about it a little bit more recently and I think it's different just reading about it and, and learning the concepts and applying it to actually building a team and applying it to your hiring. And, you know, there's not really a roadmap to do that. So it's, it's uncharted. And, and they're trying to do a lot of things that we haven't seen before. And there's going to be a lot of, you know, kind of pitfalls with them trying to do that. Yeah. Well, I think uh, like the common misconception is like, obviously, you know, every single move they make isn't just going to be like, they're not just going to pull up Corsica and, and just, just sort by, you know, who are the best possession players are right now or, or something like that. And just be like, oh, well, we need to get all these guys. Like, that's not how this stuff works. It's a, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, and I mean, I think the Leafs are a great example of that where they have all these smart people making decisions they've brought in over the past few years. But then, you know, you view some of their moves this summer and, and maybe you can speak more to this than, than I can. But I thought it was pretty surprising when they threw a bunch of money at a guy like Matt Martin and then brought back Roman Polak and, you know, let a guy like Peter Parenteau just walk for no reason. And then they, they bring back, you know, Ben Smith to play on their fourth line, even though he, I'm, I'm skeptical that he really does anything well. So it's just like one of these things where you'd view all those moves as kind of being surprising for a team that you consider to be more progressive but there is a lot of certain kind of uh, things working at once that you got to factor in well yeah and i think the leafs aren't they're they're not an all-in team right they're a team that has that element in the front office but the question here always seems to be how loud of a voice do they have and i think the answer is that that lamorello and and mike babcock have the loudest voices and then probably mark hunter's next and then the analytics team comes somewhere down the list and so if there's a debate over a player like a Matt Martin and the analytics guys are saying, no, we don't want him. And I'm not saying for sure that we know that, but let's, let's just assume that they were saying that, or they were saying, no, we don't want to, you know, trade these high picks and, and give a big contract to Frederick Anderson. And like I said, we don't know for sure that that's what they would have said, but let's assume they probably lose out if, if Lou Lamorello or Mark Hunter or, or someone else in the front office disagrees with that. So you know, where's the difference in Florida is that, Ownership all the way right up to the top to Vinny Viola, the the billionaire owner. I mean, he's the one that's saying, "Let's let's go big on this. Let's let's make this our our guiding principle because it's worked for him in business. It's worked for him in Wall Street." And 
that's that's not the situation that the Leafs are in, and you know it'll be it'll be fascinating to see what what the right way to go is. Right, but I mean at the same time, like you know, a guy like Tom Rowe, for example, who's now who was working as their as their GM and is now going to work as their coach is a quote-unquote hockey guy right he's been around forever he played in the league for a long time and he's been part of this so it is like it, 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 you you do have to sort of kind of take all this stuff into account it isn't just completely cut it cut and dry it is you can be all in on it and sort of respect it and, and approach it and, and use it for all your decision but there's you're going to factor everything in as well yeah my sense with tom Rowe is like they wanted they want hockey guys that are willing to buy in kind of to their ideas as well, like to mm-hmm. buy into the idea of puck possession and certain ways to play. Like everyone's made it the story with Gerard Gallant that it's, you know, analytics versus old school or whatever. I, th- I think it's almost like a style of play kind of thing. You know, everyone's saying that Gallant really liked, you know, Eric Goodbranson and likes that kind of harder straight ahead style. You know, I, I, I think it's almost just a stylistic thing and they want a coach in there that can try and do some of the different things in terms of, you know, the way they exit the zone and the, the way that special teams sounds like it's going to be a big focus for them. And, you know, so it's, it's not, it's not just uh, old school versus new school. It's also that they didn't get the chance to pick the coach and in order for them to try and make their vision for how the team's going to play. I mean, let's face it, they got, they lo- they're like kind of different than the Leafs in that they lost a lot of quote unquote grit and brought in, you know, skilled puck moving guys. And you can see why that wouldn't work for every coach. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, and you know, the, the Panther situation really reminds me of, of that scene in Moneyball. I know that Moneyball is sort of a, a tired, a cliched example in situations like this, but it really, it really does harken back to it where, um, that, you know, um, Brad Pitt, Billy Bean really wants uh, certain players to be in the lineup, and and the manager just like is like, you know what? I'm the manager. You stay out of here. Like I'm going to handle this. So he just has to like wind up trading the guys and making all these moves to sort of force his hand. And and it seems like a lot of that is happening in Florida. Yeah, yeah, that was that's my sense that 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 was happening. Yeah. So I mean, I, it's not to say that I, I think Glenn's going to get another job. I mean, I think he did a, a decent job. It's just. You need the coach aligned with the front office, I think, more and more because it's not just about getting players that are "quote unquote" analytics players. It's about it's about a lot more than that. I mean, like, like we saw in Pittsburgh last year that they had the same players, or, or largely the same players. They changed the system dramatically, and the results changed dramatically. So, you know, the coaching is a big, big part of puck possession and all these things that we talk about. It's a huge factor. So, they're they're just looking for buy-in and. And what they're asking someone to buy into is is a lot different than I think what a lot of coaches are used to. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm a big believer. I preach this all the time that all these things are sort of inputs, and then the output is is the end result. And you can you can really uh, maximize it by changing certain stylistic things and and stressing various things. Um, uh, okay. A, 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 two, a thirty second answer from you on this. Why is uh, why is Roman Polak and Matt Hunwick still a thing? <laughs> You know, at least they're a third pairing thing because there was a while there where they were getting big minutes. You know, I remember early November, first half of November, Polak was averaging pretty close to 20 minutes a game, and it's, it was killing them. You know, they're, you can see they're, you've seen the Leafs' possession really slide. The first, I want to say the first month, I don't even know if it was that long, the first two, three weeks anyway, their possession numbers were really good. I mean, they were running at 54, 53.5%. And, you know, everybody, 
online that follows this stuff was saying, wow, I mean, if the Leafs can get this and Anderson can start playing a little bit better and they, they've got something here and the offensive firepower that they've got, but that's been sliding and some of it is, is the Hunwick-Polak pairing uh, was playing a lot. Some of it is the fourth line's not very good. Um, that Bozak line is, despite how good Mitch Marner has played and then despite the points that they've put up, is not a good possession line. They've kind of, and they've mixed and matched deep pairings so much that they've really struggled to figure out who the second pairing is. And the funny thing is, if you look at the data all year, the answer has been the same. It's been Jake Gardner, and it's only recently that they've started to go to him in bigger minutes. Against New Jersey, he played 25, 25 and a half, I think, is in most of the year, most on the team that game. And his possession results are fantastic. And I think Connor Carrick is a guy that is, deserves more of a chance too. I mean, he's had some games where he sat out, which means that more minutes are going to Hunwick and Polak and Martin Marincin, who's really struggled this year, uh, despite being, you know, typically thought of as an analytics kind of player. Um, I think if they settle in and Zaitsev has played his way under the top pair with Morgan Riley and, and Gardner and Carrick look like they're settling in as the second pair, I think we're going to see better results in terms of the, the shot share and, and controlling play. And it's it's a bit of an unorthodox look to a top four because all those guys, none of those guys are very big. You know, none of them are stay-at-homers for sure. You know, they're all kind of offensive defensemen, what we would think of, but that's that's the best top four that the Leafs have. And I think that they have the best chance of winning games the more that they go with that group. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get sort of the thought process behind, like, you don't want to necessarily put all of your eggs in one basket in the sense that on a hockey team, you generally want you know different players who can do different things and bring different stuff to the table. But you watch how fun, young, exciting, and fast most of this team is, and, and they play the highest pace in the league at five on five. And then every time Rowan Polak and Matt Hanna would come on the ice, it's just like everything. Just like it's like you know the record just comes to a screeching halt, and you're just like, well, what am I? What am I watching right now? It's it's kind of a bit, a bit jarring, just aesthetically speaking. Yeah, it's. I'd be interesting what what you think of this. I mean, I sometimes wonder if Babcock, like he did this in Detroit as well, where he had his he had his players he was comfortable with that the results in terms of analytics and things like that aren't necessarily there. Like he really liked Luke Glenn Denning and and Dan Cleary, and I know it drove some of the Red Wings fans that that follow this stuff nuts that that he would play these players and and really you know, almost over-rely on them, not to the extent that we saw with, you know, Jay McClement and things like that under Randy Carlisle, but just that some of Babcock's roster decisions are a little bit frustrating. I mean, he's such, he's such a great tactical coach, and he's one of the best coaches in the league. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever take that away from him, but he just seems to really like these heart and soul kind of guys like Hunwick um, that he knows on a personal level and he's got a comfortability with them, whether it's, you know, a lot of the Minnesota guys are getting our defensive minutes or penalty kill minutes. And he's still of the mindset that you need that kind of, uh, you know, gritty, I guess, a hard player. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, so I, this is my question for you on Babcock is that sometimes I wonder, like, is he, is he stuck in where he was in 2008, 2009? And like, did that make more sense back then with the rest of the team he had? He had such a stacked Red Wings roster. Did it make more sense that you could mix some of those guys in? Is where the NHL has evolved to now with teams like Tampa and Pittsburgh really rolling three skilled lines? Like, like has Babcock missed that a little bit? Should he 
you know, that, that, that's what I wonder sometimes watching the Leafs. Yeah, I think that, you know, he it's not a unique thing just to him in the sense that I think no. most coaches out there, in fact, probably everyone, like has these sort of uh, blind spots that they just can't seem to avoid or get past for whatever reason. Like a, a great example for me is I think that Alain Vigneault in, in New York is a, is a really good coach. But, you know, the, the the kind of running joke for years has been his, his infatuation with a guy like Tanner Glass and, and Dan Girardi. And it doesn't really seem to make sense, especially for a guy who seems so progressive and and well thought out and everything else that he does. But I think that the key thing you mentioned is at least a guy like Polak is playing on the third pairing and, and, and Ben Smith is playing on the fourth line. It's you want to limit your exposure to it and, and sort of, you know, maximize everything else. And you'll kind of take the, take the bad with, with the, with the overwhelming good. And I think that's the case here. It'd be, it'd be a much different story if Polak was playing like 22 minutes a night as like a top four guy, like then, then I would have a major issue with it. So I think it's just one of those right. things that with any, with an NHL coach, you sort of have to just live with it. It's not ideal, but it's uh it's better than the alternative in terms of other coaches. It'll be interesting to see when the Leafs have more and more skill coming into the lineup. You know, people think that based on what's happened with the Marlies so far, that Kasperi Kapanen and uh, Brendan Leipzig and you know uh, some of the young defensemen like Andrew Nielsen have have had really good starts. You know, as that that skill comes in, uh, you know, do, do the Leafs move away from some of these pieces, and do they go? Are they going to have a more skilled fourth line at some point? Are they going to? have a more skilled third deep pairing. And that's one of the things I think that they're looking at in Florida is, I mean, what if, what if you just built all four of your lines or skilled lines? You know, I know they were looking at CVR and, and Marcheseau when they were healthy, were going to be depth guys and they've had to play higher in the lineup because of the injuries to Huberdeau and, and Bukestad and stuff like that. But I think more teams are contemplating building different kind of looks to their lineups. And I just wonder where the Leafs will fit in because the pieces they have coming and and they're going to, you know, like, I don't know what they do with Matt Martin when they get to that point. I mean, he's going to be kind of a fixture on that fourth line, no matter what, I guess. And stylistically, he doesn't look like he fits in and you've got these good young kids coming and, you know, maybe they're going to be prevented from going to, to four skilled lines. Yeah. Well, I think there was once a time, like maybe even as recently as, as five, 10 years ago, where there just wasn't necessarily enough talent around to fill four skill lines. So out of necessity, teams had to devote their bottom six or their fourth line to being these sort of grinding low event types that could just come in for five, six minutes a game and throw the body. But now we're seeing that, you know, in the AHL, there's all these undersized guys that very conceivably, just like Jonathan Marsh, so is doing this year, could step into a lineup and, and produce if, if, if given the opportunity. And, uh, I think that it's it's silly for teams to be wasting roster spots on guys that can't really play when there's better alternatives for even cheaper. Like uh, it, it's it it is a little bit of a nitpicking thing because it's ultimately not necessarily going to completely submarine your team or take your team, you know, from being a, a bubble playoff team to being a championship contender, but we spend so it's so close and it is a copycat league where teams are following each other and it's just like it's going to be interesting to see over the next couple of years how many teams are quick to realize that that for these next few years before everyone else catches on they really can get a bit of a leg up on the competition just by optimizing every single lineup spot on a nightly basis well the way i look at it too is there's so many injuries every year in the league and you know like the average man game loss is you know in the hundreds that if you're one of those teams where you have like florida where you have a couple forwards go down if you've decided to have a lot of skill in your you know, 11, 12, 13, even 14th forward, 
maybe that changes the conversation. And then if you lose a Uber Doe, well, you can test drive this Marchiso guy on a top line, and then there's a chance that he can do it. Whereas if you just had grinders in, in your lower end forwards, you wouldn't have a guy that could come in and do that. So uh, that was really interesting when the, the Leafs waived Seth Griffith, who's a, another one of those guys, a really small guy, but who produced huge numbers in the AHL last year as a pretty young player, which typically says to me, depending on age, but you know, if you're in your early 20s and you can produce well over a point a game in the AHL, that usually says to me that you're an NHL player. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't really established himself yet. He only got three games with the Leafs. I thought he looked pretty good. I mean, he was creating more in the offensive zone than anyone else that's played on that fourth line this year for the Leafs. But it was interesting that the Panthers jumped on him right away when he went on waivers because it's, I think it's just a different mindset there than, than what, you know, what the Toronto's doing right now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I generally don't like to, to rumor monger on this podcast, but I am curious. Uh, is there anything to these Dougie Hamilton trade rumors, or is it just one of these things where it's being a bit blown out of proportion just because it involves the Leafs? Well, I'll ask you, like, has anyone really reputable said that this is potentially happening, or is it just because Tree Living was in the press box here, or... <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what, with, I think with trade rumors, that. I always look for, like, like the guys... There aren't that many of them. I mean, there's only like 10 or 15 guys in the media that you know have lines in with GMs around the league, and they would be the ones that know. If it's coming from other people, generally speaking, it's just speculation that's based on not a whole lot. So that's what I look for. I mean, like if if Bob McKenzie or, you know, even someone like – I'm not going to name names, but I mean, there's lots of guys that you know that have inside info. If they're floating stuff out there, then then yeah, there's something to it. But with this one, I think it's just everyone knows at least need another top four defenseman. Everyone knows, and there's been a lot of talk about this, that Hamilton hasn't really integrated very well in Calgary and that, I mean, I've heard that they wouldn't mind moving him. So I think that is fact, that, that Calgary would potentially move him. Um where we get into the gray area is whether or not the Leafs are interested, if there's been conversations, you know, if, if there's even a fit there. I'm not even sure what Calgary would want. Um, but he's an intriguing option because that's the, that spot on right D is going to be really difficult to fill. And right now the Leafs only they're, – they're weak on right D. You know, I think Zaitsev probably is a better fit on the second pair than the first. So if they can find someone that can play on that first pair, that, that changes things for them. Well, the only reason I do bring it up is because – there are a few other examples like this in the league, but it feels like Dougie Hamilton has sort of been rumored in these trades or, or trade speculation for a while now. And I, I never really understood it just because he seems like one of these perfect players where his underlying numbers are really good. And if you're into that sort of thing and, and you can look for them, you'll be impressed. But just also just purely from the eye test, just watching him, like he seems like a player that every single team would want and, and the one that has him would never let him go, right? Like he's a young, big guy who can skate and who can shoot and who can pass the puck and, and who isn't afraid to be physical and he basically does everything well. So I just don't understand where this sort of stuff is even coming from that Calgary wouldn't be quote unquote like ha- like sort of happy with how he's immersed himself there. Like it just seems bizarre to me. Yeah, it's well, what happened in Boston, I'm sure some of this came out as kind of like the just that he had trouble integrating with the team. and But, but I think a lot of us just thought maybe that's because, you know, the Bruins are an older veteran team and there's an established identity there and all these other things. I mean, Calgary doesn't have that. So, the, you know, I, 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 I don't want to throw the guy into the bus or whatever, but it, it sounds like in Calgary that they're the same kind of, 
you know, trouble integrating with the team, stuff that's happening off the ice. And not that he's out partying and ending up in jail or anything like that, but just that there's not a, there's not a cohesion there. They don't, they're not sure if there's a long-term fit there with the player. So I don't know. I mean, if that does turn out to be the case, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is that is that just old school hockeyism? You know, a guy that's a bit different. A guy that everyone says, "Well, Dougie Hamilton's very smart guy." You know, he's a bit of an egghead. Is, does he just rub people the wrong way, personality wise? And and is that is that the wrong reason to trade a guy, or is there something to that? Because as you said, I mean, he looks good on the ice, and his, his results look good. So, and 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 Calgary's off to a tough start, so they can't really afford to lose that trade. Yeah, yeah. Ho- ho- hockey culture can be annoying in that way, where if right. you don't, if you if you don't fit in uh, with how you're supposed to be as a, as a hockey player or as a hockey type, um, you sort of get like kind of ca- ca- as an, labeled as an outcast. You just sort of get all these you know character issues and stuff like that, and it, it is very frustrating. But I think that uh, if he really is available, I'm pretty sure that every team should be constantly calling the the Flames because. He'd be a perfect fit on on twenty nine other teams. I guess thirty. We go, we got to start saying thirty now that the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights are are in on it. It's going to take some getting used to. I think everybody's a fit on the Las Vegas Golden Knights right now. I think they'll take anybody because looking at some of those expansion rosters and they're not uh, they're not that pretty. I mean, maybe they're a little bit better than what Minnesota and Columbus and some of the other teams had, but not not a lot. I mean, I think that's that's a bottom three team. So yeah, to be fair, at least the defense looks like it'll be pretty good. But yeah, no, Dougie Hamilton will be great everywhere. Um, before we uh, before we get out of here, let's talk a bit about the uh, the tease we had at the start of the show. You have a you have a new job. Tell t- tell me all about it. Tell the listeners all about it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be running a new site called The Athletic. Um, it's launched in Chicago. In in it launched already in March, um, and they've been building uh, a team there. Basically, the idea is. And you throw questions at me after this, but basically the idea is take the sports section in a newspaper. Let's let's say it's a really good sports section in a really good newspaper um, with you know seven, eight good writers, some freelance people. Take it out of the newspaper environment. Take it out of being in print. Take away the deadlines. Take away you know word count lengths and you know the limitations that the physical print paper gives some people. Make it digital only. Uh, have an app for it, which which we do, which is is cool, and I encourage people to to look for it and download it. Um, and instead of charging, uh, w- you know, what's happening at the Globe and Mail is there's a subscription fee uh, for online content. It's you know twenty three, twenty four dollars a month. Instead of charging that to read the content, just have the sports section and charge three dollars or four dollars a month. Uh, and that's if you get enough people, that's enough to sustain that little sports section online that that uh that kind of like hardcore information and we're going to be covering the jays and and the raptors and the leafs very very closely um and if we can get enough subscribers you know really how big our little sports section is going to be uh is dependent on how many people sign up so you know if if we get 10,000 subscribers, then we might get a little bit bigger. But if we get 20,000, we can get a lot bigger and we can bring in more and more good people and then more people are going to want to subscribe. And so, you know, I think the hope eventually is that it's going to kind of snowball in the right direction for us. Well, uh, I think I think the first follow-up I have is, 
I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little excited for you because I've been fortunate enough um, working at Sportsnet. My editors have been great in terms of giving me the the freedom and the flexibility to uh, write about whatever I want and not having to necessarily kind of dumb it down or, or write these sort of fluff pieces just for the sake of uh, appeasing people that might be reading it. But I I know that you had some frustrations with that um, in the past couple of years, and I'm excited to see what you can do now. You can just sort of basically write about whatever you really want to, whatever your heart desires. Well, it's like it's like going from general interest to like the opposite, right? I mean, and like the thing about something like this is that I can you can almost narrow cast in a way, and you know I can write some things like getting into really nitty gritty stuff, and if people aren't into it, then they just they don't have to read it. But I think that for like the really hardcore consumer, and I know that there's enough of them probably out there that they're going to want some of the stuff that that they want the next level kind of coverage. So, you know, the advantage that we're going to have is that we're going to be credentialed with the Leafs and the Jays and the Raptors, and we'll do some stuff on TFC and stuff like that as well. Um, but, you know, these are legit journalists that have covered teams before, but it's kind of like unleashing them a little bit from some of the things that I talked about. And, you know, I look at what Eric Kareen is doing for us on the Raptors, and it's he's got such immense freedom now that he can write whenever he wants. He can he can pick the topics he wants. He can pick the format he wants. You know, it's not like he just has to file uh, 800 words at the at the buzzer after a game. I mean, he can write three things, and one of them will be a list, and one of them will be a Q&A with a player. Or, you know, he can do all kinds of different things. And it's it, we're trying to kind of, in the media, figure out what the next thing is going to be, what, what the next business model is going to be, and this is this is one idea and you know i hope it works because i think it's it's as you said it's going to be a lot of fun to be helping steering the ship on on something new like this yeah yeah i'm 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 cautiously optimistic that it'll work. I, I, I do sometimes wonder just, you know, you, you do see this pushback from people being like, oh, like I have to pay for this, blah, blah. But I mean, good content is worth paying for. And as you mentioned, it's going to be such a, a small fee compared to what you'd be paying otherwise at a big newspaper. Um, and, and I think the other thing you got, you have going for you is that, you know, especially with the Leafs now, they're this young, exciting team with, and they're, they're going to start winning more. And, and I think that's going to drive interest in the fan base. Whereas, you know, you're not writing 2000 word profiles on Jay McClement. So I think that, uh, uh, you're you're kind of off to a good start there just to begin with. Yeah, and the interesting thing too is that, so like I said, we're launched in Chicago and they're going to launch in more cities as well. And if you subscribe to us, you get the other cities. So, you know, I think there's going to be more high-profile people. Uh, you know, even on the hockey side, they're going to get hired in some other cities. And then it's going to be, you know, your 3 or $4 a month is going to go a long way. And if we can scale up and grow and hire more people and these other cities can launch and do the same thing, you could have a, a decent percentage of the really good hockey writers and really decent sports writers in all these different markets. Let's, let's say we eventually we get to seven to 10 markets, then all of a sudden your three or $4 a month is you're getting a lot of content. You know, you're, you know, right now you can get hardcore content for the Blackhawks. And when I, when I join, we're gonna have lots and tons and tons of Leafs content, but it's a different equation when you can add in all these other different markets. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting idea and I'd like to see it work. I know it's, it's working at Pittsburgh with what Dehan Kova, Kovacevic is doing there. Mm -hmm. Um, They've got like 35,000 subscribers and it's really taken off. And so it's, we have seen it work before. It's just a matter of seeing it's going to work in Toronto or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Listen, man, I'm I'm hoping all goes the best. I'm rooting for you. I'm excited to see your coverage back there. And uh, for everyone 
um, just check out the athletic TO on, on Twitter and, uh, you can kind of get more information there and, and hopefully, uh, become a subscriber and check out James's work. So I think that's, uh, that's it. Did you have any other plugs you wanted to get in before we uh, get out of here? No, that's a big one. That sounds good. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time. I know it's a pretty hectic, uh, hectic few weeks for you here making the transition, but, uh, I'm excited to see where it goes and we'll make sure to get you back on once you, uh, get fully acclimated in your new surroundings. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Cool. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast.